Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Our study in Ecclesiastes now leads us to what is a corollary message from our focus on riches from last Sunday. Today we will see that the lasting legacy that we leave behind us is not defined by what we have earned or saved up in our bank accounts and barns. Rather, we can pass on an eternal focused life by modeling what it looks like to walk with Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Thanks for listening as we once more uncover God's wisdom to keep us from chasing after the wind. Have I told you the story of my dad telling me, uh, get your boots on on a Saturday morning? Have I told you that one? How I want to watch Garfield? I told you that one already? Did, Did I tell you about the one time where I had a change of heart right as he was leaving and I ran outside just to see the the truck going down the road. Do you remember that one at all? So I, I remind you of that this morning because I, I, I'm remembering that moment and I could see it as vividly as ever. Is that that immature heart of mind that morning realized that I was sacrificing something eternal for something temporal. I was sacrificing something that mattered for 30 minutes of junk food screen time in my life. And I... And I wonder if we could take a minute and just sort of give self-evaluation to any existence in our life of any any junk food time. Anything that's wasted in our lives where we have taken something temporary and we have sacrificed the eternal for the sake of momentary joys or pleasures or delights. Today's message is really a part two from last week. As we've been through the book of Ecclesiastes... Uh, We see a a repetition of themes where the writer addresses the meaninglessness conclusion of life when you live it without God. And last Sunday, the theme was riches. Today is an extension of that same idea, but it's going to move in a little bit of a different direction. For there is a theme that's repeated throughout the book that looks at the frustration of our lives when when we strive and seek after that which will extend beyond our own Life. I don't know how many years you have left. I don't know how many years I have left. And I don't know what will happen after those days. The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to come to the conclusion that the striving of mankind upon the earth without God to extend his own influence beyond his life comes up with that beautiful Hebrew word, hevel. It's vanity. It's vanity if you strive in this life without God. Now, I'm thankful that you all still showed up for church on a book of Ecclesiastes. We've got two more left, so hang in there. We're, we're going to keep going a little bit further. Uh, this morning, we're going to look about the, uh, on the subject of legacy. What is your legacy? And what I hope to do is be able to contrast what we see in the book uh, of Ecclesiastes, defining for us that temporal Chasing, striving, where it doesn't last, it doesn't persist, and it leaves us only with frustration to instead be replaced with something that is eternal. In my heart, I can still see, and my dad drove a a silver Chevy at that time, I could still see it pulling down the drive, and I ran across the driveway shouting, stop, stop, and he never saw me, and he never heard me. That truck continued right up the road, and he just went out and cut a load of wood like normal, but, but I missed it. I missed an eternal moment for a memory with my father. And I think that without self-evaluation, you may be missing moments 
right now. You may be in, um, as confused as the world gives us for a misplacement of that which you think will outlive you, but it really doesn't. And what we want to do is exchange that for a life found lived with Jesus Christ so that we can hold on to those things that will outlast us, storing up for ourselves treasures not on earth, but help me out, treasures in, in heaven. Ecclesiastes, we're going to be in chapter 1 just to begin, and then in chapter 2 for the meat of our subject. Um, I invite you to follow along as we look at it together. Chapter 1 and verse 11, right at the very beginning of the book, the writer says, There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So a difficult passage right off the bat. It gives us a conclusion that we're going to begin with when we look at the subject of legacy, which we can see from the very beginning that your legacy is not about you. We we almost have to begin right there because at the outset of the book itself, the writer teaches us that of those men of old, nobody remembers them. Nobody recalls them and their achievements. Who built the pyramids? Do you know? You know the people group, right? Who was it? It's the... Yeah, but who was it? Tom, Joe, Bill, Larry, Sarah? Well, I don't know. All we know is it's still there. Anything, anything of influence in the past and in our world today, it's incredible. Even those that we memorialize have histories that now by those in this generation are trying to be rewritten. So not only do you have a forgetting of those of old, but if we don't like your life and your memory, we'll just change it into something that we approve. How very fruitless it is to think that your legacy is about you. There was a time before you, and there will come a time after you. Which means you have, like every gravestone, there is uh, a dash that represents the difference between two years for your existence, and that is all. How, how hard it is for mankind. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has placed eternity on the hearts of men. That we strive for that type of memorialization. We strive for that eternal existence. But you won't find it. You won't find it if you think your legacy is about you. Let's look at the next passage in chapter 2. And this will be the last one that we'll look at, even though there are many more in the book. Starting in verse 17, the writer says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? 
All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over. To the one who pleases God, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I want to offer to you just a few observations in this short passage. The first is that your legacy is not about what you've purchased. Additionally, your legacy is not about what you've achieved. And then thirdly, your legacy is not about what you have earned. So your effort through achievement, your conquest through purchasing, or your value through what is owed to you. None of those are your legacy. I want to point out to you just in the text where we find these. Verses 17 and 18 chart out the vanity of what you purchase. Verse 18 says, I hated all the things I toiled for. I hated them. You guys know we got a rummage sale coming up? A little, little, little verse, theme verse for the rummage sale, right? Yeah. Um, I am always a little bit amazed when I drive through town and see garages that aren't used as garages. They're used as closets. Right? And and just stuff stacked up. Isn't that isn't that how it goes in a country like ours, a people like us? You're you're told again and again, get more, buy more. And what do we do? Okay. We think that'll make us happy. And then we die and we leave that mess for who? Poor kids. I was, uh, I was called to the uh, hospital side of Mary Bro a couple of weeks ago. Thankfully, she's doing awesome. Mary is just doing fantastic. And we definitely keep you in our prayers, Mary. But there she was, and she was bragging about her church to the doctor when I walked in. Um, and she told me, she said that she, uh, she, she was busy working in her house when she felt like she had this uh, episode come. And it's because she keeps downsizing. She keeps downsizing her possessions. And Mary told me it's because she doesn't want to leave a bunch of rubbish for her legacy, for her generations that come after her. Boy, Mary, we could learn from you today, you know. We really could. Don't, you don't have to rush on dying, though. We'll keep you a long time. So those streets of gold will be waiting. Yeah, think of all, think of all the things that you have that just weigh you down. Your legacy is not what you've purchased. As cool as it is. In fact, we'll see a verse here in just a moment that helps us see that all the clearer. Thirdly, uh, your legacy is not what you achieved. Look with me here in verses 19 and 20. He says, and who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work to which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. I think of in my own life, the warning of missing the time with my own kids because I'm needing to sit at the desk or finish an assignment or, or another chapter. Boy, I'm putting in a lot of effort. Ooh, I'm putting in a lot of skill. At what cost? How, how many fathers show up uh, at, the, at the home? How many mothers show up just dog-tired from, from work and have nothing left to give I gave it all. All of my talent and effort that God poured into me, I have given to the almighty dollar, to the boss, to the man, whoever that is. 
And now, and sometimes we justify that thinking, well, I'll leave a fat inheritance. Right? All that I've achieved, I'll leave something for, for the kids. When really what you've done is you've stolen, you've neglected to give them something that's far more valuable. Now, I'm not meaning to put any guilt trip on anybody today, but I do hope that what you do is take, a, take another just examination of the time, which is very precious in our lives and how we use it, because your legacy is not what you have achieved. Remember the first one we looked at? Nobody, nobody's going to give a rip about you and what you did and how great you were. Those trophies are going to go to the dump. They will, however, they will remember the sacrifice that you made to invest in their lives. That they will remember. Well, the third one that came from this is that uh, your legacy is not what you've earned. And if you look with me over in verse 21 and 22, he says, For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. And this too is meaningless. It's a great misfortune. What does a man get for all his toil? What's he get, right? That's, that's your pay. That's what you earn. So what does he get here? Well, nothing. He comes up empty. It's just anxious striving for that which he labors for. I'm reminded here of the words of the uh, writer of the book of Hebrews. Um, Even that message that comes through the Jewish people to know that they are aliens in a foreign land. And we too are strangers who are just passing through. It was just a couple weeks ago as I got to go and perform a, a wedding for my cousin in Colorado that I got to stay at a hotel and uh, my, my mom and I, we went together and um, our rooms were really, really nice. I mean, this hotel was really nice. And so, you know what I did? I put the TV in my suitcase. <laughs> right? I, I, I took the comforter, wrapped that up, put that in my suitcase as well. Right? Well, what did, I, what did I do with all the wonderful possessions that were now mine in the hotel room? Did I keep them? No, I, I, there, there's not even any reason for me to get comfortable here. Why? Because this is not my what? Yeah, this is not my home. This is not where I set up shop and set up camp. I'm just passing through. And so you know what I do when I'm at a hotel? I try to leave everything basically where it was. I try to make the job of the custodial crew a little bit easier. I keep my luggage ready to go right there. I set my shoes right where I need them to be because this is not where I belong. This is not my home. You catch the metaphor for life here on earth? Do you see the danger for how the world and the culture will deceive you and speak to you to make you think that this is your home? I had a professor in college who shared the same sentiment with us, and he said, if this isn't our home, maybe it shouldn't feel like it. And one of the things that happens to us is we grow far too comfortable here. Come on now, be honest. Be honest, right? Even coming into the building this morning, it was a little chilly in here. I'm going to turn the heat up, right? These pews are a little bit uncomfortable, right? I want things just right. Why is the coffee not strong enough? Why is the, why is the preacher's? Talking so long. Right? Whatever it happens to be, think about in our own lives the little things that we fuss about that are all geared and designed to make you feel comfortable where? Right here. But you don't belong here. We need to be careful with this. So your legacy, it's not you. It's not what you've purchased. It's not what you've achieved. It's not what you've earned. Last one from our verse. Your legacy is not about what you have stored up for yourself. This comes in verse... 26 in the middle he says to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over 
to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Jesus, in speaking to uh, some individuals that were going to come to him, asking him to be an arbitrator between them, I think understands this passage. Uh, This here from Luke chapter 12, Jesus's words, please listen. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me an arbiter, a judge between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Your legacy is not about you. It's not about what you have purchased or achieved or earned. It's not about what you've stored up for yourself. The two passages that we, that we looked at in our readings today hinted for us as to where our legacy truly does lie. Uh, they were, Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way that he shall go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. In our passage in Ephesians that we've now heard for the third time this morning, right? Fathers, don't wear out your kids. Don't, don't lead them into exasperation, but instead bring them up in the training and admonition or instruction of the Lord. What a legacy, right? What a legacy. Um, I want to give a quick reminder because we've been through some series here at Grace where I give the challenge to the whole church. That bringing our kids up in the faith is not just something that we need parents to do well. We need who to do well. We need everybody to get involved in this. And I I hope that today as we're looking again at the conclusions that come out of Ecclesiastes. That we realize our legacy needs to be seen in modeling eternal values. Not temporal ones. Not the junk food that you, junk food time that you would waste on those trivial things that don't matter. Instead, your life must be framed upon modeling eternity for those youngest among us and probably for some of the older ones among us as well. We looked at this verse last Sunday, but I want to remind you again, Jesus says in John 17, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's not this will be eternal life. It is Right now, you can have eternal life to begin by knowing Jesus. How easy it is for us to be deceived into thinking that it is a product of what we have achieved that matters, that our legacy is about us or what we've earned, but it's about Jesus. And it's time for us to let go of the junk food time and hold on to that which is eternal, which is Jesus himself. I want to give you two ways from this text this morning by which you can have a lasting legacy 
through Jesus. That the first is by modeling a life that pleases God. Let me turn your attention back to verse 24 and 25 and 26. The writer says, A man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives these gifts. You only have so many years, and your children and grandchildren only have so many impressionable years where they're really paying attention. Take good use of those moments. I know it's awkward. I know it's hard at times. And sometimes we have to confront. Sometimes we have to have difficult conversations. But don't let those moments go by you. Because you can model with your life what it looks like to live as one who wants to please God. You know, Jesus actually has this modeled for us. Uh, The very best that I'm aware of is where he washes the disciples' feet and then speaks to his disciples saying, Now that I have done this for you... You follow my example and do this for one another. But in John's gospel, you have another theme that Jesus says over and over and over. I would like to show you these verses. First in John 5, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. John 7, 16, Jesus answered, my teaching's not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. John 12, 49, for I do not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. John 14, 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. Guess where they come from? They belong to the father who sent me. Jesus lived his life in such a way that modeled what it looks like for us. Jesus was found seeking that which is eternal, being both fully God and fully man, but knowing that we would have that mirrored connection with him, that we too, in following Jesus's example, would live our lives to please who? To please God. You know, they're watching. The world is watching. Your children are watching. I'm preaching to myself, you guys, on this right now because I know I spend far too much time in front of screens and behind a desk when I could be investing in that which is eternal. So we need to learn to model a life that is pleasing to God. And if you do, it will result in wisdom, knowledge, and joy. I'd like to show you again in verse 26, straight out of the Bible, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge, and joy, or happiness. There's a lot of things that you could pass on to your kids, right? A couple thousand bucks, how do you think that's going to go? If you have one kid, no problem, right? If they're siblings, problems. But what if you could pass on to them wisdom, and knowledge, and joy? That's, that's the trait you really want to pass down. Uh, last Sunday, I was driving home and I stopped at the corner 95 and 2 where it meets there at the light. And I, you know, like you always do, just kind of check your mirrors. I looked to see who was behind me. But as I glanced up, I looked and I caught the reflection of my own eyes. And as I get older, I realize that if you just frame out this part of my face, I almost look a little bit like my old man. <laughs> 
I'm getting a little fatter here around the, around the side, right? I mean, the rest of me, you know, is a, is a mixture between my mom and dad. And I'm really seriously not just like my dad. But what I just for a minute there, just for a minute, kind of got a glimpse that it's kind of look like my dad's eyes. Except I remember something unique about my dad's eyes that I did not see in my own. When I was quite young, I remember, and I remember this mainly from my mother telling me that uh, my dad was kind of an angry man from time to time. Uh, before he went to Curcio and, and really fully surrendered his life to serve the Lord, there was some yelling and some shouting that would happen in the home. Uh, thankfully, by God's mercy, I was so young enough, I don't remember that very much. I really don't. You know what I remember about my dad? I remember probably the last decade of his life, specifically in the last five years, I remember his eyes had this way of sparkling with joy. He got these wrinkles right here from smiling. It was amazing. Even suffering with ALS, that guy's eyes would still sparkle with happiness. And here I am looking in the mirror, and I'm like, I think I could do better. I think I could. And so I kind of gave one of my dad's smiles, and sure enough, little twinkle was there. Listen, you have opportunity to pass a legacy on to the next generation. You really do. Make sure that you don't confuse it as to that which is temporary. Make sure that you're passing on those things that are a gift from God, given to those who seek to please him, because they're listed right here in the text. Wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is knowing how to make good use of information. You could have a head full of information, but you could be an idiot that doesn't know what to do with it. That person lacks wisdom, but wisdom knows how to best use the information that you do have. Knowledge is listed here. Knowledge is power in our world. It absolutely is. The more that you know, the more that you understand about how the world works, the better you are equipped to bend it according to your will or God's will. So knowledge is incredibly valuable. And joy. The word here in my Bible is happiness, but the root of it in Hebrew is joy. How valuable is joy? Have you ever met somebody who just has unquenchable joy? Are they not the most annoying person you've ever met? (laughs) Like the rest of us live in the real world, you know, or frustrations come. But no, don't you wish that you could be more like that and just have this this joy that overflows and you see other people having the concerns of the world hit them and knock them flat and their face looks like this. And, you know, boy, I just wish I had more joy. Those Those are the things that we want to pass on. And you will, by God's grace, do so if you seek to model a life that is pleasing to God. I have a couple more blanks here because I thought as I was writing this out, it's probably not enough for me to simply list these as conclusions without giving you some ways of doing it. So how, how pastor, how do I do it? How should I model this? Number one, it's done by recognizing God's involvement in every aspect of life. If you look back with me in verse 24, the conclusion here from the writer says, a man can do nothing better than to eat, drink, and find satisfaction in his work. Um, In the culture at that time, if you weren't sleeping, you were either working or eating. So the writer here is saying that, that satisfaction is something that needs to come through every aspect of your life. Whether you're working or whether you're enjoying the fruit of that work by eating and drinking, you need to find God through that because satisfaction is given as a gift from God to those who seek to please him in every aspect. So how do we do that? How do we model it? Well, we must recognize God involved in every part of our life. Oh, just the good parts, Pastor? What do you think? 
No. God is involved in every aspect. And you will extinguish the flaming, fiery darts of the evil one trying to cast dispersion upon your life for those bad parts if you get on your knees and you say, thank you, God, for giving me this trial. Thank you, God, for showing me once more that I need you and I'm dependent on you. Thank you for the picture in my life of weakness so that I am shown to be incapable without you and you are shown to be mighty and strong in my life. If you thank God for your trial, you know what the devil does? He says, shoot, this ain't working. (laughs) You need to recognize God in every aspect of your life and when you do, I promise you, you will be seeking to please him. Um, I wanted to do something this morning to model that for you. Um, There's someone in my life who for years bandaged my knees and took care of me and fed me and taught me how to make my bed and be responsible and let me live under her roof and charted me back and forth to basketball practice. And I want to thank my mom for all that she's done in my life. Every little aspect for 18 years. Um, I didn't deserve it, and I'm so thankful. So I wanted to give this to you this morning. Let me ask you an easy question. Who thinks she's pleased right now? (laughs) Now listen, we can do the same thing to God. You could do exactly what I just did for my mom in thanking her. By thanking him in every aspect for all of the ways in which he has blessed you. And then what's God going to do? He's going to be like, all right, yeah, that's how it's supposed to go. And from his hand, you'll see the gift of mercy come by wisdom and knowledge and joy. Number two is this. How do I model it? By seeking him as the source of satisfaction and delight. Look with me again in the text. Verse 25, it says, for without him, who can eat and drink and find enjoyment? Um, Hear me now. It's not who can eat and drink. (laughs) You can. uh, Can I get a witness here? You can totally eat and drink without God, right? Amen, right? That can totally happen in our world today. But you know what you can't find? You can't find satisfaction. You can't find enjoyment without him. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure that as we're seeking to model a life that pleases God, that we're going to do so by making sure we're not seeking the pleasures of life. We're seeking God first. And in seeking God first, we're going to have our pleasures then redefined. And, and retrained so that they are the truly the things that he's designed us to love. This verse that comes from Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. Let's say it together. Everybody ready? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you know how that works? Your delight is the position of affection in your heart. And if you make Jesus the object of your affection, do you know what you'll get? Jesus. <laughs> how great is that? You, you will receive the desires of your heart when you seek God above all things. Uh, now, even just for sake of time, I didn't include the dozens of other passages in the Bible that teach us this exact same thing. I hope, though, that you'll allow it to sink in, that we need to make sure we're seeking Jesus. Seek God. 
before we seek the pleasures of this world. Lastly, number three, uh, we need to really grow up in our character. We need to mature our character towards wisdom and knowledge and joy. If those are the legacy that we want to pass down, well, are you embracing those in your life? Are you a person characterized by wisdom or flying off the handle? Are you the kind of person who really seeks to understand and takes time to listen? Or do you want to share your opinions first and and really open your mouth to show how foolish you are? Or how about joy? How quickly is it stolen from you? You know, this week was a tough week for teachers. It was. I know. I'm married to a teacher. The health department passed down this new mandate for masks. And of course, of course, we are all in agreement with those in the health department that children do not learn very well like this. This is a tough, tough, tough way to learn. And they're trying to make the best decision that they, that they can. And my poor wife, she came home and she was just hopping mad. She, she, she's thinking now about all the changes she's going to have to make to her classroom that just got reversed. She's thinking about another year of having to teach like this through masks for kindergartners. Kids who really need to see the face and your expression. And, and this was at night as she was just kind of, I, I was letting her talk. You know how it goes, guys, right? You just let her get them out, get it out. And, and I thought, thankfully, I don't quite have the same burden. Uh, but I told her, you know, being upset is not going to help. Being, being angry is not going to change anything. It's kind of like my football team. If the ref makes a bad call and, and the team does what? What does the kid do when it's a bad call? Come on! Come on! And what's the ref do? Oh, my bad. Okay, let me, let me ch- Is that what the ref does? No. He, he'll kick you out of the game if you keep arguing with him. There's nothing you can do. Arguing and griping and moaning and making noise. And there's another word I would use that you all know I'm not saying. If, you, if you're going to act like that about these situations, you're not going to change anything. You're just going to ruin your life and you're going to surrender your joy. And so the next day as Emily went to school and her poor principal's having to face this, I sent her a text. I said, how are you doing today? How's everybody doing? And she wrote me back this long message that I want to share with you this morning. She said, I wrote this to my teachers So last night I spent 15 minutes complaining to my husband about having to wear masks and having to change my room. After I finally stopped talking, he gently said, look, you don't have to be mad. There's going to be plenty of people who are mad. Let them be mad. You have an opportunity to love and encourage others. He's right. (laughs) That's basically why I want to read this. (laughs) She says... I'm just going to enjoy that for a moment. Right? That's so good. Uh, she says, sometimes I hate it when he's right. Uh, I may not want to wear masks, but that doesn't mean I need to complain and be grumpy. He also said that really it's Angela, the principal, who is having a rough few days. She's the one who parents are going to be really mad at. So I was thinking that I would just pass this along that we have the opportunity to encourage one another and pray for one another. We have the opportunity to make bad situations not so bad by having good attitudes about it, even if maybe we don't feel like it. And if you think about it today, give Angela some extra encouragement. We all need it, but especially her. We can make it, you guys. And I was also reminded that, and then she has a quote here, they will know that we are Christians by our love. 
We get to love one another. That's something the outside world of Christ does not understand, and it is a gift. I'm so very thankful for each one of you. You are all awesome. I hope you have a great day. I I read that and thought, wow. First of all, she's got some guts to send that to all the other teachers. But what a perfect response to how we treat the situations of our life and how we respond. Did you see the wisdom in what she said? Did you see the way she worked with knowledge? And did you see the way she held on to joy? My encouragement to you is just think in your own life, those things that cause you to just do one of these. All right, whatever that is, take a moment. Take a moment and think and step back. Whatever is making you uncomfortable today, could you apply some wisdom, knowledge, and joy to it and work towards growing up? Because if you seek Jesus through that first, And if you try to see God in the middle of every instance in your life, his promise to you as one who pleases him is to offer to you those things. Here they are, he says. Here they are. Wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Go ahead, take it. It's up to us if we're going to do it.